Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never, ever give up hope. Never, ever give up hope is a broadcast that is now in over 140 countries. Listeners from every corner of this globe. And I am so appreciative of that because what it shows me is that no matter where we are living on this planet, there are people who feel, may have been, or right in the middle of, being hopeless and this show always has people on it who have an incredible story of overcoming circumstances where they were possibly hit rock bottom and were able to turn their lives around and become successful and that success can be in a variety of arenas whether it's a a physical like possibly a um, cancer where they didn't have any hope of living all the way to being hopeless and living in a dumpster. And I have interviewed two people who were living in dumpsters and are now entrepreneurs and successful multimillionaires. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where we're going. And it doesn't even matter where we are right now because we have tools that my guests often give to help us to turn our lives around and that's what this show is about not only to encourage and inspire you but to give you the tools you need to change your own circumstances so with me today i am so excited to have stephen scoggins now he has often been referred to as an empowering communicator who educates audiences on how to deal from their past to grow where they are planted, and then go out and help others to do the same. And I believe that is the desire of many of us, to not only grow where we are planted, but through what we learn to help others. And so I'm excited to hear what Stephen is going to share with us. But even more so, he is going to share where he has been, what he came out of, what he had to overcome to become the man he is today. He is an author of a life-transforming book entitled Journey Principles, 10 Simple Principles for a Life Journey That Matters. Wow, that's quite an impactful statement and book title. 
Now, I don't want to get ahead of Stephen's story because he is going to share from his heart today, and I know he is going to encourage and inspire you. He is a man who started his business. Are you ready for this? As a homeless man from the backseat of his car, dumpster diving for food, and he now owns and operates a multi-million dollar business, and his message is a simple one. If I can do it, anyone can. Welcome, Stephen. Hey there. Thanks for such a warm introduction. Wow. Thanks so much. You want me to repeat it? <laughs> you know, sometimes it makes you feel really good, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely put a smile on my face. Oh, there you go. For a few okay. Yeah. Who is this person? Who is he? I want to meet him. <laughs> anyway, welcome, Stephen. Just as many other people who have had great success stories, and I'm sure you have certainly heard them as as my listeners have as well, your early life was an indication that you were someone who would never make it. And mm-hmm. how often don't we hear that story, right? You had, <laughs> you had failure after failure. And someone, you are someone who went from having little hope to a place of hopelessness. Instead of going up, you were going down. Yes. And now in your bio, you made a statement that really touched my heart. And so we'll start here. Roaches and ramen noodles were my family's normal R&R time. That's such a mm-hmm. visual, and I saw the pain and whatever goes along with that, and I'm so excited to have you share uh, what you're going to share about that today. So let's start there. Start with your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I think, unfortunately, most of America now, I want to say the last time I checked statistics, uh, I'm, I'm actually glad I got that word out right correctly that time, um, <laughs> about 48% of the population grows up in a single parent, a no parent household nowadays. Which is kind of a scary, a scary thing to think about. Uh, I unfortunately was one of those. My uh, my parents uh, unfortunately had their own struggles and stresses that they had been through the vast majority of their life. And about the age of six years old, uh, both my parents went to go. I guess well, I'll just say they went to go find themselves, or went to kind of kind of kind of go chase down whatever uh-huh. whatever been holding them back. And I began being uh, kind of raised by my grandmother until about the age of nine, and then she passed away of cancer and you know life for the most part when but you know from the time you're you know zero to nine zero to six zero to eight you don't you're not really thinking a whole heck of a lot about life you don't you don't know that you don't have a lot you don't really know that you know there's there's not a lot there but what you can discern is whether or not you feel loved whether or not you feel appreciated whether or not you feel wanted and i find so many times that are the greatest seeds in our lives really start there and when I was with my grandmother, I always felt needed and wanted and appreciated. However, when she passed away, I went to go live with my dad. And my dad had been fresh back from Colorado. And he, he had, like I said, spent some time out there trying to find himself. He was in the construction business, and he suffered from alcoholism for a good majority of his life. And, you know, all that rolled up into one, you know, it, it kind of led to a, a household where you kind of like, am I wanted? Am I appreciated? Am I loved? Um, do I measure up? Uh, does anyone see me? Does anyone know who I am? Uh, and, you, and a lot of that, especially at that age, is so subconscious. You're not even really thinking about it yes. uh, until you kind of get an adult. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, with my dad's various struggles that he had at the time, um, he had a, 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 a business and, and lost it and some other things. You know, we didn't have a whole, whole heck of a lot. We stayed in a single wide trailer for the longest time uh, in a place called Fugway, North Carolina. 
uh, right beside a cow pasture. So my a cow was was my was my alarm <laughs> clock. <laughs> you know, and then by the time I was 11 years old, I was I was already on a job site and uh, you know trying to learn how to do construction with my dad, carrying studs for uh, 25 cents an hour. Um, I think that was before they had minimum wage. <laughs> so, um, or at least I didn't know minimum wage existed. Right. Otherwise, I might have thrown thrown my hands up. And you know, and unfortunately for us, my dad really struggled with with managing money. Um, you know, there was already there was always more month than pay. You know, and we kind of and we kind of lived in that space. Uh, couldn't afford to really live in anywhere really nice. You know, so we ended up having obviously a lot of uh, a lot of pest control issues. I remember laying on my bed one time. And the ceiling fan that we had that used to go click, 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 um, woke me up out of a dead sleep as a, as a, as a big cockroach landed on my tip of my nose. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh. You know, so, so it woke me up from a total dead sleep. And I was like, man, this is just, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, so I, you know, so, you know, we, and we moved, you know, after that, you know, after my dad's fill business, um, well, actually, before his fellow business, we had we had, he had some level of success. We moved out of the trailer and into a decent house. Um, and within two years, the house was gone because of my dad's financial struggles that, you know, as far as how we, how we handled money. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, that two years was actually pretty good. You know, we felt like we were, you know, we're, we're finally we finally have a, a small piece of the American dream. Only to find out uh, that through uh, taxes and all this other kind of stuff that my dad struggled struggled with. Only to find out that, uh, you know, we were basically foreclosed on a couple within a couple years later. My dad's second marriage basically went through a divorce pretty much at the same time, and then we went from there to living on my grandparent in my grandparents' uh, three-bedroom house, but one bedroom, and all three of us staying in the same room, and then from there to another mobile home that was infested by cockroaches and things of that nature. So oh that's an early, early snapshot uh, from about zero to about 14, 15 years old. So not very exciting, but uh, there's still more to come. I still have plenty of story to share. Well, let's just stop here for a moment. Let me ask you this. What were you, like you did share a little bit of what, like when we were seven to nine years old, thinking that this was the norm. But now you're getting mm-hmm. older. You're a teenager. Are you oh, thinking yeah. that this is going to be your life? Or were you one of those people who, teenagers, that was a dreamer? And you thought, when I, I'm not going to live my life this way. Which category were you in? You know, if I'm honest with you, I think I was a little of both. Um, I think instinctively I felt like I had more to offer. And I feel like most of us do. I really do. I feel like most of us kind of feel that way about various things. Um, we seldom pursue it past there uh, because, you know, our conditioning says that our normal, it will always be our normal. We don't realize yes. that opportunity really is before us and not against us. And, you know, I think so. In many ways, I was in both places. I was trying to figure out life. Um, I knew in some, I knew inside of me I had something to offer. I wasn't really sure what it was. Um, I knew that I didn't want to continue living life the way I had it, but my quote, childhood friends, if you want to call them that, were constantly reminding me of what we had, what we didn't have, what they had, and, and how I was uh, missing out. You know uh, you know what I'm saying? And I yes. feel like so much of that is just additional conditioning to your environment. And pressure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you know, it, it, it makes you feel even more deficient. You know, I led to the fact earlier about how a lot of times uh, not feeling loved or appreciated or wanted uh, – whether it be subtle or whether it be more of in a in more in an abusive capacity, tends to shape how we really think we feel about ourselves, and it challenges our own self worth. And then you compound that with 
those that are reminding you that you have nowhere near what they have, uh, it tends to do some some pretty funny things to you. Yeah. So now I'm a teenager, and you know, honestly, it's it's a lot more the same. It's it's uh, trying to make it through high school. I began um, struggling in high school, uh, grade wise. I didn't know at the time, but I actually um, had a uh, a high functioning level of dyslexia, and I found school boring. It never was really challenging enough for me. Uh, my brain, as you can probably tell by the the, pa- the pace in which I speak, goes about a bazillion miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always had a hard time with regulatory school processes, but you know, put something in my hands, uh, get me excited about something, um, let me test something and try something. I was always really drawn to that. And I think for the longest point of time, uh, I was more concerned about my family. I think a lot of us, and this is where I was, a lot of us, we get into a savior complex where we feel like we're the ones that has to save the family. Uh, Unfortunately, my dad had an accident at work, and I did become that person. I had to drop out of high school in my junior year um, and basically provide, uh, do basic provisions, provide some basic income for the rent, some basic income for the food. Uh, We didn't have a family car at the time, so I saved my money and and, and bought a car, a, a red CRX uh, if you want to call it that from a buy here, pay here lot. And that was my, <laughs> my start, you know? And so I was, I've never really had a childhood. Uh, not really sure what that's like. Uh, I've been, I've been quoted as being, as been a workaholic. I probably got that honestly from my dad. Cause I know he works hard, but it did teach me that once I had my own family to respect the, uh, the family that I had be constantly affirming my children. And even though they may make mistakes, Hey, you made a mistake, but I love you. I'm here for you. Constant hugs. Uh, things of that nature. And I don't know, that that moment really shaped my life because I, I think that was the first time dropping out of high school where I actually felt like I had failed. Mm. Interesting up point, until, yes. Yeah, up until that time, I felt like others had been failing me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and, and that's, and I kind of lived in that space for about a, a good a good year or two and kept moving forward. Um Worked for a company called Waste Industries, delivering trash cans and uh, quintessential garbage man. And, you know, and finally I kind of got to the point where uh, I was really struggling and had a chance to join the military. Uh, so I, I my best friend uh, out of high school, um, he was in uh, special operations. So I'll call We'll call him Thomas. Um, but uh, he, he he was in he was in uh, Intel work and doing some very special things for the Navy. And he and I got on a phone call. I hadn't talked to him in, in a while. He'd been in Korea or somewhere for a couple of years. And he said, hey, you know, you should totally do the Navy. They'd, they'd love to have you. And and, and it's going to be awesome. I travel all over the place. And they feed you all the time. And they give you money. And you don't have to spend any of it. And, you know, I mean, he just basically sold me on the military. <laughs> so um, he introduced me to a local recruiter uh, in Raleigh. And I began for the next eight months really training, training my hiney off. Um, I was very interested in, in special forces. I was very interested, whether it was to keep up with my, my friend Thomas or whether right. it was to keep up with myself. I wasn't really sure or, or somehow a deep-seated uh, need to prove myself worthy. Um, but either way, I was stuck. And I remember training and training and training. And uh, then then I kind of had the rug pulled out for money. I go to I'm, I've been training for eight months. And I'm doing all this extra work. I'm spending all this extra time uh, trying to develop my mind and my in my in my body and all this stuff, only to find out uh, at MEPS the day I'm supposed to ship out, the day everything is supposed to change, everything's supposed to be amazing, get better, and finally have broken free from my my family life of uh, uh-huh. virtual poverty, if you will. 
I find out from my uh, a man in, in dress whites, if you want to call it, if, for, from the Navy standpoint, yes. walks in, looks at me, and, and just kind of says, hey, Scoggins, come here. And, you know, you're Scoggins. You know, in the military, they, they call right. you by your last name. So um, didn't think much about it at the time until he said, well, grab your, grab your bag. You see, when you go to enlist in the military uh, at the MEP station, the Military Enlistment Processing Center, um, you're going there for shots. You're going there for physicals. You're, mm. I mean, you're, you're essentially going to ship off to your to your destination for boot camp. And uh, pulled me out of the, this group. I was sitting this these uh, desks they used to have in high school, at kind of an L-shaped scenario where you kind of scoot in, scoot your honey in, in between your seat and the table. And I got out of there and walked over to him, and he took me back to a back room. And matter of fact, look on his face, no smile, no nothing, no compassion, nothing, just straight up stern. And he says, uh, I'm sorry, you, you're not going to be able to enlist. I'm like, what? What? Oh. what are you talking about? I've been training for almost a year for this. I've, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've, we, you guys took me into the courthouse and got all my speeding tickets wiped away. I mean, you, I mean, they, you know, so it was like, we've been working together for this. What right. do you mean I can't go? Right. You know, and he basically told me that uh, because I had uh, gotten a GED, because I'd never graduated high school, uh-huh. that apparently, uh, at least in the state of North Carolina in 1997 and 98, uh, those that had a GED had to score higher on their uh, aptitude test called the, called the ASVAB. Right. And unfortunately for me, I scored just above a high school diploma rate, but just under where I had to for a GED. Oh, my goodness. You know, so then I'm thinking, well, you know, hey, all right, fine. I'll just take the ASVAB again. And he said, well, under normal circumstances, that would be what we would do. And I would say, well, what's wrong with these circumstances? Uh-huh. And and basically he, she, he goes, um, well, you have scoliosis at the top of your neck. And unfortunately, that's medically going to disqualify you oh, for goodness. enlisting in the military. So keep in mind, I had been sleeping in a barred friend's uh, couch, occasionally in a car, I slept once or twice outside, and I put all my hopes and all my dreams of kind of turning my whole life around on enlisting in the military. You know, here I was, had been staying where I could, hadn't didn't have much. I had sold off all my belongings that I did have uh, to fr- friends and family because I thought I was leaving. I didn't wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to need a car. I wasn't going to need anything. Um, only to be have that really taken directly out from under you. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live. I walked out of his office out through the front door of MEPS. And then literally, as soon as I cleared the front door, the wave of weeping began to, to basically overtake my mind, my heart, and my spirit. Uh, I couldn't see. I was blinded by my own tears. I couldn't understand. I felt like I had finally given it all. I had done all my, done all the extra work, really worked incredibly hard. I'd done all this and it still didn't measure up, you know? So then you kind of come back to these things where you don't feel like you measure up in general. Yes, if, if that if that makes any sense. Yes, and, definitely. And in that and in that quiet moment, have you ever watched? Uh, was it uh, Tom and Jerry? Yes. Back in the day, little cartoons. Well, you know, occasionally Tom or Jerry would have an angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. Mm-hmm. Well, you're gonna believe this, but almost audibly on my almost on my left side, I began to hear things like, "I told you you weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. I told you you were gonna failure." I told you never measure up. I told you no one cares, man. I told you, I told you, I told you. And every time I would hear that thing, I would hear, I would just begin to weep further and further. And the voice was almost screaming, almost yelling in my ear in many ways. And then in the subtleness on my right hand side, 
I'm telling you right now, I heard a whisper. And the whisper said, he's lying. You matter to me. And you matter to what I have planned for you. And it was a powerful, powerful moment. But unfortunately, that teeter-totter went back and forth for probably a good hour in my best case. I found myself overlooking an eight-lane highway uh, over here in Raleigh, North Carolina, on Capitol Boulevard. And I had slipped off my shoes. And I had sat on top of the rail. And I began to just think, I guess I'm not good enough. Why am I even here? Why am I even bothering being in being in this world? Why, If this is all life has for me, I don't want this. this is, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Not knowing where food's going to come from, not knowing, you know, if, if anyone's ever going to love me and, and things of that nature. And I pull out the one thing that I still had that my grandmother had got me was a buy here, pay here phone. It was a Nokia 5160 telephone from back in the day. <laughs> uh, it it had like 12 buttons, you know, had a yellow screen long before texting. And I began it had a cracked yellow screen and I began to dial a handful of people that I just wanted to tell them how much I loved them. Wow. Obviously, waves of emotion over my over my shoulders and my eyes and my spirit, and I'm crying like crazy. And and I would doot, 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 doot. ring, 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 no answer. Doot, 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 doot. Ring, 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 no answer. And every time I dialed, every single time, it was like that voice on my left shoulder got louder and louder and louder. And I'll never forget this. On the fourth try, I remember thinking to myself. That's it. I almost I almost chunked the phone from the bridge all the way down under the overpass. And uh, for lack of better words, I was ready to take an empty step. I was going to wait till I saw a, a large vehicle or something like that. So it wouldn't you know, so it wouldn't be painful, wouldn't hurt. It was kind of finish the job. And I know right. that's kind of graphic, but that's exactly where I was. And I'll never forget this. Um, that whisper was louder. And it says, call one more time. Just make one more call. And I did. And a woman who had been my high school girlfriend's mother uh, when I was 16, who clothed me and fed me because she knew what kind of situation I grown up was growing up in, um, took it upon herself to answer the phone. Raspy cigarette voice. Um, her name was Susan Batts. Her nickname, I, I nicknamed her Mama Wama. Uh, uh-huh. When I was dating her daughter, I was waiting one time for her daughter to come down the stairs. And uh, she was, you know, obviously she was doing her girl thing upstairs and I was waiting and she goes, Stephen, you're just as sweet as sugar. I'm going to call you sugar wooga. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, fine. I'm going to call you Mama Wama. And, you know, and she was my right. mentor for a good two years. She was in fact, she was the first person from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a sophomore that really outside of uh, a construction mentor that I had had told me that I mattered. And she would remind me on a regular basis how much she loved me. And I'll never forget this. She gave me 11 words that ultimately changed my entire life. Okay, you've got me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> now, let's back up before you share those sure. 11 words. Let's back up a little bit. I want to talk about uh, your emotions when you first heard that from the from the enlistment officer. Mm-hmm. Did you have anger? And I, if so, I, towards who? Because I think this is one area where a lot of people have to deal with when they are given bad news. And I'm wondering yeah. if, if that happened to you. And if so, if, you know, did you work through that at that time? I realize you were in a low place, but just want, I thought of that as you were talking. So can you address that? I think the truth is, is I was angry, but it was, I was only angry at myself. I felt like I had failed myself. I felt like that even after, even after putting all the energy, all the effort, all the training, all the everything into it, 
I felt like I felt like I had failed myself and I wasn't going to measure up. I felt like that everything that everyone had ever said about me, you know, when I dropped out of high school for the circumstances I mentioned before, everybody's like, you're going to be a failure. You're not going to measure up. You're, you know, high school dropouts don't do it. You have to go to college and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I think when, when that actually happened, I was like, oh my gosh, they're right. Okay. That was my next question. Do you, did you believe those lies? Obviously you did at some point. Yeah, I think we all do at some level. Mm-hmm. I think I, I tell people all the time there, there are two types of lies in the world. Okay, there are the lies that you tell yourself that you're you're whether you're doing it for most of us lie to ourselves to keep us protected or somehow to promote us. And there are there are the lies that are spoken over you that you believe. Very good point. Expound on that a little bit, if you don't mind. Well, in my own mind. As I'm going through things, um, I'm lying to myself and think, telling myself that I, I didn't measure up and I put all the extra work in there. And because I didn't get the outcome that I wanted or I expected, somehow that all my efforts were a failure. And that was a lie. I've since learned there is no such thing as failure. There's only learning. Uh-huh. And I know that learning is adversity. Learning is adversity exercised and experience. If that makes any sense, yes. learning is learning is learning is is the leverage pole that moves adversity out of your way. And I didn't know that at the time. And then there were the, also the other lives of the, the lies that people were speaking over me that said, hey, you you, you don't measure. Up. I see this a lot with a lot of people that I've worked with, uh, especially in the in the in the life transformation space, uh, who literally everything that's holding them back is the belief that they've acquired based on something someone else said about them. That's quite an that's quite a statement. And it's a truthful one. I think if, if if every listener listening right now, if they ask themselves right now, what's really holding me back? Okay? Your brain likes questions. Your brain will answer whatever question you ask it. I've learned this the hard way, but it's changed my life. So if you ask your brain, um, why am I a failure, your brain will give you ten reasons why you're a failure. However, if you ask your brain or ask yourself, what are 10 ways I can learn from this and grow from this, your brain and like company will do the same exact thing. Hmm. So sometimes to get a better answer, you simply need to ask a better question. That's what they should be teaching us in school. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, for sure. <laughs> okay, so we're fast forwarding now. And there were 11 words that were spoken to you that day that changed your life. Share that. Absolutely. Well, Susan had spent a great deal of time um, arguing with me back and forth. She was trying to, almost yelling at me, where are you at? I'm coming to get you. And of course, I'm like, I knew what I wanted to do. And I was like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm, I'm far away. You can't get here. So that went on for a good, I don't know how long, but it seemed like it went on forever. Until finally she said, Stephen. Promise me you'll call me at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And whether or not you believe in the divine or not, I knew inside of my spirit that she was the only person on the planet that I was aware of in that moment in time that if I made a promise to, I would follow through and keep my promise. And she knew it. Oh, my goodness. I think she knew more than I did what I was facing because I found out later it was something that she had faced herself. And there's something mm. about suffering that teaches you how to empathize and yes. how to help someone else who's suffering. Yes. So then she said something else that kind of radically changed the course of my life from there on. 
And she said, Stephen, she goes, repeat after me. I'm like, uh, whatever. She's like, no, she goes, and she began yelling at me, Stephen, no, repeat after me now. And she goes, this too shall pass. And what comes next will be greater. And then I was like, well, this too shall pass. And what comes next will be greater. And she's like, no, say it like you believe it. I'm like, wow, I'm getting growled at over the phone. <laughs> you know, and uh, with, that, with that raspy cigarette voice, and it was incredible. And, and I did. She, had, I said, this too shall pass. And what comes next will be greater. And she said, Stephen, promise me you'll call me at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And after a little tug of war, I agreed. I put my shoes back. I climbed back over the rail, put my shoes back on. And began walking. And about 4 a.m., I called my father from a payphone when they still existed and asked him to come get me. And he did. And I slept on his couch for about a week. He then led me to uh, back to a construction company where I had a little history where I'd walked off a job site on a, uh, for a guy named, by the name of Steve Myrick. And Steve uh, was one of my mentors that I was I felt bad about because I unfortunately had betrayed him. Not intentionally. I didn't <laughs> know how damaged I was. And uh, I was able to get back on his framing crew without talking to him, working the first week. And sure enough, uh, again, whether or not you believe in the divine or not, I hear a little whisper in my spirit and it says, go talk to him. Uh, I, I proceeded to hide from him for probably a good three hours <laughs> and until my dad sent me over to go change a garage door jam on this house. And I go change this garage door jam and above me, I see these guys who are actually working on equipment that Steve had bought me prior to the Navy episode. And they're like talking junk about it. He doesn't pay his bills. He doesn't do this. I'm like, what are you talking? I'm in my spirit. I'm like, what are you like? What are you talking about? This guy's awesome. How can, how dare you hurt him? How dare you come after him? And then something in my spirit said, they're doing the exact same thing you did to him. Wow. So I walk away from there again in my spirit. I hear something in nature of, Hey, 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 He's coming back around the corner. Go talk to him right now. Sure enough, Steve Meyer walked, uh, drives up um, in his white Jeep Grand Cherokee with gray bottom with a big old dent in the back of the back <laughs> of the bumper because he was forever backing into stuff. Like it happened like all the time. <laughs> he rolled the window down. I got blasted with a bunch of cold air. Uh, he, he, he shined his, his, his pretty white dentures at me and uh, he kind of said, hey, boy, you know, how's your head? And I was like, uh, I'm getting better. And what he actually did was he asked me a lot of information in one sentence. And that's just the kind of relationship we had. Mm. And uh, I proceeded to tell him, I said, hey, uh, Steve, I'm, uh, you know, I'm uh, I just these guys that are over here. I overheard them saying they're not going to come back to work, that you're not paying them. Blah, 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 blah. He says, you know, they were trying to get a draw on a house they hadn't completed yet. And of course, I knew that was wrong. Yes. He knew that was wrong. But for whatever reason, the guys in their stupor that wanted to get drug money thought that they had they were entitled to it somehow. He reluctantly said, how are you going to do that? You don't have any tools. You don't even have, a, you don't even have a, a true, a true uh, set of pouches or nail aprons. And I said, I said, I've, if you will give me the chance, I'll just, I'll figure it out. I'll, and I'll be, and I'll be ready to go by Monday. And uh, sure enough, he looked at me and laughed. He kind of stared at me for a minute with like a, like a inquisitive saying, like, <laughs> who is this kid? What's, what's going on right now? And keep in mind, I still don't have a place to live. This would be the first paycheck I've had in probably over a year. And sure enough, um, he says, I'll tell you what, I'll let you, if they don't come back Monday, I'll let you finish that, finish the house right there they're working on. And because they didn't lack a whole lot, just a little bit. And um, he said, we can go from there. Uh, he rolled up his window, proceeded to drive off. My dad walks up. He overheard part of the conversation. And he's like, what have you done? What you just got here? What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm just, I said, dad, I'm just telling you, 
I, there's something about this I can't shake loose. I can't shake loose. I can't let it go. And I don't know what, but I just can't let it go. And uh, I said, this is something I have to do. He looked at me in my eyes, saw that I was serious, maybe because a tear fell from my eye. And then something my dad had not done. Um, it's the first time I actually felt love by my dad. Um, he opened the back door of a rented van that he was renting from Steve, opened the back door, sure enough, begins pulling tools out of the back. And I looked at him like, what are you doing? Oh. He goes, do you remember, he goes, do you remember building houses with granddad, your granddad, my, my granddad Scoggins on the weekends and during school and stuff like that? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, what was the scaffolding made out of? I was like, wood. He's like, okay, great. Go start pulling stuff out of the trash piles. And sure enough, we built my scaffolding and my ladders out of wood, out of the trash piles. And that was the birth of what became Custom Home Exteriors, a $40 million operation in three states. My goodness. So this too shall pass and what comes next can be so much greater if you're willing to grow. That's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing it (laughs) honestly, you know, because many of the things you you spoke about failure, I think, will speak to hearts of people who are always wanting to blame somebody else. And you really did look at yourself. And as difficult as and as painful as that is, you certainly that's how you learned. And that's how oh, absolutely. So tell <laughs> us about your book. Well, you know, I wrote the Journey Principles um, as a way to kind of give back. Uh, about 2011, I began getting another urging in my spirit that said, "You needed to, you need to tell my story, not you need to tell your story. You need to tell my story." So my book became, um, ironically, it was something that I did as a labor of love. It took me about two years to write it. Um, I even had some some help uh, putting it together and getting it uh, edited and orchestrated because obviously dyslexia does not bode well for an author. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it makes it makes produ- production very interesting. Um, and in 2012, I'm sorry, 2014, the book officially released and the journey principles, 10 simple principles for a life journey that matters. And within about four months, uh, the book had made it into six countries. And I think uh, we had moved about 3,000 copies. And my publishers at the time, those that helped me get it published the first time before I took over, took that over myself, um, said, you have to have a curriculum to go with this book. You have to do something. You have to – there's too much in here. Mm. I was actually talking to a, a larger publisher not too long ago, and they actually told me that I put too much in one book. They said that any number of the chapters could have been their own books and, and would have had the ability to – teach people at that level. And I was like, well, this is, this is what I had to work with, you know, and this is, this is where I was at. And I've also been told that it comes across as like a conversation because I'm nothing special. I, I haven't done anything that no one else can do. Um, Steve Meyer once told me, he said, he said, what's the difference between a rich man and a poor man? And in my youth, I, I would have said, or I did say, I said, well, duh, money. And he kind of smirked at me and kind of laughed. And I said, and then he, and he kind of looked at him. He's like, he goes, absolutely not. He goes, the difference between a rich man and a poor man is the way they think. Wow, that's amazing. So I took that same theology and began training my brain, my spirit. So I do something every single day that feeds my mind, my body, and my spirit every single day to keep me happy, healthy, and whole. Now, it's not like every day is perfect. Uh, I just went through another, another level of major adversity just recently. And, ha- and and had to come through another season of overcoming. But I've realized that adversity is the best teacher. And if you don't allow yourself to become the blame game or to cast the blame game and just literally say, 
what can I learn from this situation? So what if I grew up in poverty, impoverished thing? Okay, what do I need to know? Well, I need to know how a millionaire thinks. What do I? All right. Well, uh-huh. So what if my parents been divorced two or three times? What do I need to know? I need to know what a successful low relationship looks like, and I need to know who I need to become to attract the kind of person I want to marry. You know, and it, it becomes about the questions. You know, I actually came up with this. Um, you know, we, we have uh, obviously we have uh, a whole transformational process we put together not long ago that has helped literally, I don't know how countless people already uh, still getting all kinds of little reviews from them. But I came up with, you know, I told you a minute ago that it comes down to how you think. Well, I learned that we all we all function in one or two buckets. We all function in either a traditional lifestyle or we function in a transformational lifestyle. Those that find transformation, people like myself who have major adversity and then go on to do uh, what the world would deem successful or anything of that nature, all function in a transformational mindset. And those that stay stuck and feel in a rut and feel abused on a regular basis, whether they're doing the abuse themselves or someone else is doing it to them, often live in a a traditional mindset or traditional lifestyle. And I've learned just by rearranging some core components of that, just by doing that, you can actually radically alter the course of your life. There are so many multitudes of people out there who have mm-hmm. inc- overcome incredible circumstances. But one mm-hmm. of the things that you said that is, when you talked about the rich man versus the poor man, is, is what mm-hmm. they think, right? Mm-hmm. Now, right. What, what you think affects your attitude, and it is your attitude that other people perceive. That's right. And so this is what I'm getting as you're sharing this because of where you've been just as you know I'm empathetic with you I can relate on on several of the levels that you had been talking and because of your attitude you are going to be able to affect others and I believe that is part of your success because now you have taken all that adversity Mm-hmm. And you are still the same person, right? You may think a mm-hmm. little differently, but you're still the same person. And that attitude comes across as empathetic, sympathetic, and you want to help. You are humble, and which I think is an important factor. And that all comes across, and people gravitate to that. They want to hear what you have to say. They want to be able to relate that, yes, I've been there too, just as I relate it with you. Everybody can relate on, on a certain level. So I really thank you for sharing that and how our attitude, as long as we have a good attitude, we will become successful. And you, <laughs> That's right. You've just, you've just proven it. Well, think about this. Your attitudes control your actions. And if you want better yes. results, yes. it will start with your attitude. That's good. Okay, I appreciate that. Your attitude controls your actions. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share? And also, let's talk about um, online course as well. Absolutely. I think um, if it's okay, I do my best to never do a an interview or uh, any kind of promotional process for anything we're doing or anything like that without giving someone, regardless if this is the first time they're listening to your show or the second time or the hundredth time, that I can't give you one step today to take home when you do something in your life now. Oh, I'm really passionate do. about yes, that. Yes, yes, please do. And here's what, I, here's what I want to talk about for just, we'll take three minutes. And that is the difference between the traditional and the transformational lifestyle. Here's what I mean by that. A traditional life focuses on the outlook first, which is then reinforced by their daily habits. 
which is then reinforced by the lack of strategies in their life of how to get to point A to point B, which then gives them the same outcome they've always had. It's why they stay Uh. stuck. So the outlook inspires the daily habits. The daily habits inspire the, the lack of strategies or thereof. And then on the top of that, you always get the outcome you've always had. However, if you take the same four components, okay, now this is where I want people to go back and rewind and play several times so they, so they get this. I'm going to try to do okay. this nice and slow. A transformational lifestyle focuses first on the outcome you want. What outcome do I want? I mentioned that a minute ago. Um, I want to be more financially independent. Well, I got to get around someone who can teach me about finance. I want to have better relationships. I have to get get around someone or get around information that can teach me about relationships. Okay, those are outcomes. The next layer is use the outcome and then focus on developing a strategy on how to actually get there. Okay, from the strategies you will take your that will tell you what your daily habits need to be, and what you'll find is your life will begin to transform and will encourage your new outlook day after day. So focus on your outlook first, develop core strategies, little game plans, if you will, Uh to get there, come up with the daily habits as part of your strategies that you're going to have to do every day to begin to condition yourself because your mind is like a muscle. It takes muscle memory. You're going to have to put stuff in practice over and over again, and then watch your outlook change, watch your belief go up, watch your confidence raise, and watch your life transform before your eyes. (laughs) This This is the exact process I taught myself. Uh, or I taught myself through mentorship and some other things that we've had in place. Um, and this is that that one little piece is literally and I do mean literally this is one diagram and all of the transform you content. So transform okay. you the online school we developed and we also do a live event called transform you live uh, where you can actually spend time with me and my and my uh, coaching team uh, learning how to apply this stuff real time in, in an immersive environment immersive environment um, we do twice a year. But if you want access to it right now, you can actually go to transformyouonline.com, transform you. The U is just the U, the letter U, online.com. Because here's what I I remember very clearly about my life. When someone said, hey, transform you, great. That's great for you. What I really want to know is how to transform me. Yes. Okay. We have developed an entire process, a proven process that if you apply it, you will get to where you're going. We focus on the eight pillars of life. We tell you what, what the main eight pillars in your life you need to focus on are. We teach you which ones are the most deficient, which ones are the, the ones the most difficult to get to as quickly as possible. We teach you where to put your energy. We teach you more about yourself. We have personality assessments built inside of Transform You Online to help you understand why you do the things you do, why they matter to you, what's holding you back. We teach you about the GROW framework, the GAIN perspective, recognize roadblocks, organize a plan, and work your plan. We do all of this as a way to help you actually get to where you're going so you can do the very same things I'm doing because I know if you can if you experience the change in your life that I've experienced in mine, I know for a fact you will partner with the Journey Principles and you will help us do this at scale. Our passion is to change a million lives and through a transformational process in a given year. A million lives. And we need people that have been through the process to help us make that dream a reality because I don't believe that anyone should suffer any longer then their mind makes them. I'd say you're a man of passion. Would you agree? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been told I'm a fire starter. Yeah. I have a tendency to awaken. Uh, a guy came up to me and they, they nicknamed me the seed planter. Uh, in fact, there's, there's, some, there's some talk. There might actually be a TV show in the future. But uh, we've been talking a little bit uh, about that. And they said that I have a, 
a tendency to awaken a, a seed of possibility inside of someone's heart. And uh, T.D. Jakes once said, he said, um, he said, people, uh, see, people of power see people with potential and people with potential know power when they see it. I would say that power should be done by a, should be switched out by the word authority. I think people who are in a place of authority should naturally have the ability to to see potential in other people. And I God has given me an ability to see potential in places where other people thought it was dormant. I want to I want to make a difference. I, I realize, you know, uh, I, I read recently that meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Life is much like a breath or much like a gas or a, a, a cloud. Life is short. Why not make a difference? What if you change your perspective to not having to become more as much as it is to become a person who can impact others in a positive way? That doesn't mean you're not going to have to face your face some of the things that you struggle with, your mind, your everything like that. All it means is that you have inside of you a special gift that only you can give this entire world. It's our goal at Turning Principles and through Transform You to help you discover it and help you get there as quickly as possible. You said something a little earlier um, about a traumatic experience that you were going through just recently. And I want to add to that that just because you seem to be a person who has arrived does not mean that you don't come up against obstacles. But it's what's, it's what's in you and it's the strength that you have been able to attain through experience and you know the different transformations you've made in your own life that's made the difference. And that That's makes right. you stronger and able to overcome these kind of things as they, as they, the first time that it happened to you, you know, look, look where you were, but look mm-hmm. where you are now and you can deal with so much more. And it comes down to, as you've been sharing in so many areas, and one of the things is attitude, but transforming your thinking as well as transforming your life. So that is, there's so much there to think about. And yes, I will have to re-listen. And I trust that many of my listeners will do the same because there's so much that you have have shared that will make a difference in people's lives. And that is your passion. And I appreciate it so much. Anything you want to say in closing? You know, I think, uh, one, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share with the audience. I hope I gave them something today that they can use to bless their lives and get on with their life and get on to something they want to do. Um, if you guys want to find out more about us and the Journey Principles and what we're doing, and uh, whether it be me as a speaker or just the content or just ask questions, we actually have a live radio show. We actually stream live on Facebook uh, once a week on Tuesdays. Uh, you can actually just find me at Stephen Scoggins, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Scoggins, S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S, on Facebook. And you can just go there Tuesdays and like us and share it. And next thing you know, you can watch an entire live stream radio show we do uh, where I get to take calls, answer questions. I'll actually listen to what you guys have to say and then try to give you some feedback. And then uh, other than that, I just want to say thank you. Uh, Visit journeyprinciples.com. You guys are awesome. And I hope uh, maybe we can do this again sometime. What time Tuesdays? Uh, Tuesdays, Eastern time at 5 p.m. Okay, again, thank you. And yes, I think we will do this again because I think it's necessary. There's so much that you shared here, and we can even recap maybe next time and, and talk about any new things that you want to share because you you sound like a person that doesn't sit still very long. So, <laughs> That's the truth. So <laughs> I thank you so much, Stephen. Again, it has been awesome, and I so appreciate it. And we will definitely stay connected, and I know that you will be able to help many of my listening audience. Thank you. Thank you. It's been my honor and pleasure. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.